This morning when we were in John chapter 18, we focused on or at least spoke about but concluded with this ninth verse of that chapter. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. And I was thinking of how fitting the, the hymn in Christ alone is. For no one can pluck us from the Father's hand. Nothing can rob us of that which we have in Christ. In fact, as we were singing it tonight, the thought occurred to me, it would appear that the only people who can truly sing that hymn in an understanding way are you and I and others from a Reformed persuasion who understand that we can never fall from the Lord's hand. Jesus said, not one is going to be lost. Now the question we have then is, but how can that be? How, how can we have that assurance? How, how can I know in my own heart, in my own life, that Jesus will never lose me? That's where I believe that tying it in with the Belgic confession that we are, those two articles, 16 and 18, this evening will help us to, to understand why it is that we will never be lost. We turn to the book of Ephesians, the letter of Paul to the church there at Ephesus. and We'll be reading the first 14 verses of this first chapter of Ephesians. Let us hear then God's breathed out word to us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we inquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Thus far the reading of God's word. May God add his blessing to its proclamation. Let's again bow in prayer. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Father, we are grateful to be here in this evening hour on this your holy day. We pray, O Lord, that in this time you would grant Pastor Bob clarity of mind and speech, that you would give him the words that you desire us to hear, and that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart that is overflowing with love for you. In your son's precious name, and to his honor and glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Last Lord's Day, when we were dealing with original sin, its effects upon us being in Adam, uh, the resulting of the fact that death comes to us all, that we are all under judgment, under that condemnation, and that our only hope is because God has sent forth a second Adam, Jesus Christ, and that if we are in him, we are saved. One of you last week uh, after the, the sermon asked some follow-up questions and uh, good questions, uh, important questions. But I, I, I pointed out the fact that just having Jesus Christ come and die on a cross saves no one. That's just a historical event. Jesus Christ dying on a cross is just a historical event. An unbeliever can accept the fact that Jesus died on the cross. That doesn't save them. To accept that truth, to accept that event, saves no one. It is only when we are in Christ. That mystic union of ourselves, not only with the first Adam in our judgment and condemnation and death, but our being united to the second Adam, to Christ. Therein is where we find our salvation. In Him. We need to be in Christ. A little project for you, if you would so care to do so, is to take your Bible, if you're... Uh, in the habit of writing notes and so on, just go back and note how many times in those first 14 verses the word in is used in Ephesians chapter 1. The whole emphasis is being on in Christ, in Him. We didn't read Article 17 because we had included that last Lord's Day in our responsive reading, in which God promises to send another Adam, 
a second Adam. The promise in the garden. Paul, rightly understanding that in Romans, is seeing Christ as the fulfillment of that promise. Article 18 of the Belgic is saying, in the incarnation of Christ, God has fulfilled the promise in sending to us our deliverer. And if we are found in him, there is salvation. That's why none that have been given to Christ shall be lost. For all that have been given to Christ are in Christ. Let me emphasize that from three things that Paul writes to us about in Ephesians chapter 1. First of all, that in him we are elected. In him, secondly, we have salvation. Thirdly, in him we have assurance. In him elected, in him salvation, in him assurance. Now when did this election occur? The reason you see... That, that Christ will lose none of those who are in him is because we were already in him before the creation of the world. Now let's go back and let's understand the progress that that Debray is making for us in this Belgic Confession. There is a reason, there is the orderly progression of these various items. We learn about the truth of God's word and confess that. So that which is in God's word we accept as truth. We come to an understanding of who God is, the greatness of his being as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we delve into... The act of God in creation. Think of the power. Think of the might. Think of the wisdom that it took to create this world. The intellect of some of even the smallest of the creatures of this world. The means by which they operate. Their understanding. That which God has placed within their creation. This God who calls forth the stars, and they are. With some of the light partway here, some of it already here, some of it still on its way to us since the time of creation. God who forms the great sea creatures. God who holds the planets in their places. God decreed before he did any of that. That you were in Christ. And you're going to be saved. See, doesn't that, doesn't that help us to understand the force of being chosen before creation? It's not just a time element. Paul here is not just disclosing for us the fact of, of the when. He's disclosing for us the awesomeness and the surety of our being 
in Christ elected because it was God, the creator, who did it. This past Wednesday and Thursday, an event took place. We pause, we give it some recognition. Weathermen love to talk about it. It's the change, right, from spring to summer. It's happened for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Same time, same date, same event, God has done so. Genesis chapter 8. This God who has kept his faithful promise even to the season is the creator God who before he did any of that said, I already see you in Christ. You shall not be lost. We were chosen in him, in Christ. See, we're not chosen in ourselves. We're not chosen in the event of time. We are not chosen in this life. We were chosen before time. So time has no hold Upon our salvation. That's why it truly could be said. Our salvation is indeed. Outside of time. And will take place. Forever. In him. Elected before creation. See the, the aspects of creation. Salvation. And the assurance of our salvation go together. You begin playing with creation. You begin coming up and conjuring or accepting other ideas. You know what begins to, to etch upon your mind? Well, wait a minute. If I'm chosen in Christ before the creation, but the creation was millions and millions of years, and after all, God didn't even do it. What does that mean then? Well, it's a meaningless statement. Now I begin to doubt my salvation. Now I begin to doubt whether or not I'm truly saved. If I am assured of my salvation, then I ought to be confident about God's creative work. If I'm confident about God's record that he has given to us in his word of his creative work, then I can be assured of my salvation. They go together. Secondly, this election of us in Christ was done in love. In love. This is not a bunch of kids on the playground deciding who's going to be on their team, thinking about 
who is the best prospect that I need on my team and leaving the child who is perhaps the most clumsy, the most awkward, the most unskilled to be the last chosen. That's not very loving and kind. God's election, you see, is in love. This is not motivated by, by some impersonal God. His choosing of you and I in Christ is an emotional, affectionate event. We take election and we so turn it into a theological term and debate. We rob it of that which Paul is telling us here in Ephesians chapter 1. That it's in love he predestined us. This was an act of agape. This was a selfless act on the part of God. There's no meanness here. It's just pure love. I've been chosen. I've been elected. In Christ, in love, for his glory. What's the purpose of that? Why am I chosen in Christ out of love? For the glory of God. It's not to have a contented reason in our minds. Not to have some sort of rationale that I as a human being can come to an understanding. It's not about me. It's not about you. Our election isn't about us. If I think I have earned any part of my salvation, then I have robbed the Lord of the glory that is due Him. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. And what is that purpose in Christ? His glory. That's Paul's argument in Romans chapter 9, isn't it? That this whole issue of election is not about us as men, as human beings. It is about the glory of God, and it is about his right to act out of love. Because that's what he's doing. He's acting out of his merciful compassionate love by choosing us in Christ. 
He's not choosing me apart from Christ. He's choosing me in Christ. Charles Spurgeon rightly saw in Scripture God's sovereignty in choosing the elect from before the foundation of the world. He read this in many texts in the Bible and then he concluded, I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he would never have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find in myself why he should look upon me with special love. So I am forced to accept that great biblical doctrine. Why can I be sure? Why can you be sure of Christ's promise that he will never lose any? Because we have been elected in him. We've not been elected on our own merits. We have not been elected on our own ability. We have not been elected on our own standing. We have not been elected on our own faith. We have not been elected on our love of God. We have been elected in Christ out of God's love for the sole purpose of his glory. Christ will never lose those that the Father has given to him. Secondly, Paul points out that another reason for us to accept that is because that in him we have salvation. You see, this election now comes to play. This election that was before the ages now comes into play within our own life. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. We have redemption. We have been redeemed. Something has taken place. I was elected in Christ before the ages, but now something has taken place. What has taken place? I have been redeemed. How? Through the blood of Christ. Through his life, through his death, by his work, as we sang, in Christ alone, in Christ alone, in Christ alone. In Him. In that which He has done. The shedding of His blood upon that cross. Has given to you and I the forgiveness of our sins. We have been washed, we have been cleansed, we have been renewed. We sing, we sing Joyfully, nothing but the blood. What can for my sin atone? Nothing, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For those who are in Christ, for those who have been redeemed, 
washed, cleansed, renewed. Christ will see fit that we are never lost. He did not die to lose one of us. In him, salvation. But there's something else going on here in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, starting in in verse 9, talks about this idea of, of God having made known to us the mystery of his will. God had been made known to us his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. The plan for the fullness of time. Now the last time Paul uses that is in that chapter in Galatians where Paul says in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born of a woman. I think what Paul is is doing here is he's showing to us the tie-in between all of this. This idea of election, this idea of of, of our salvation is tied into the fact that Christ is our representative. That which we were in in Romans chapters 5 and 6 last week. See, one of the reasons why I will never be lost and you will never be lost to Christ is because Christ is and was and always will be our representative. From before the foundations of the world, Christ has set himself before the Father to say, I will go and die. I will go as the representative of these people. I will go as the covenant head. The covenant head not of works, but the covenant head of grace. And all those who are in that covenant of grace, all those who are in me, will experience salvation. So Christ comes into this world. He comes into this world with a body, as Adam did. He comes into this world with a soul, as Adam did. Like us in every way, sin being the notable exception. Did you notice how Debray, in that 18th article, is striving to point out to us The coming of Christ as a man. Why? Because it's absolutely necessary for the justice of God. It is absolutely necessary for our salvation that Christ entered this world exactly as Adam did. With a body and with a soul. Now you note in our responsive reading, there was a strong condemnation of these Anabaptists. The people, the Bray and and the congregation there in the the lowlands continually raised. Now let let me be very clear. The word Antibaptist does not mean 
the folks at Berlin Baptist Church. I am quite confident of the fact that most Baptists that you and I know would confess the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, there are some things about these Anabaptists, some of their beliefs that Debray and these Reformed folks were dealing with, that are, are, are exactly like what, what a Baptist believes today. But this is not one of them. The Anabaptists of Debray's day were those who were saying, Christ never came in the flesh. I can't be in Christ I can't be in a covenant of grace. I can't have a covenant head. I can't have salvation. Unless Christ had flesh. Unless he had a body. Unless he had a soul. So when we examine many modern day cults and their beliefs about Jesus, many either dismiss the humanity of Christ or the divinity of Christ. And we still today need to condemn that. That's wrong. You have no salvation if you have no Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born of flesh. It is of absolute necessity. For in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman. That's what Paul means in Romans 5, Galatians 4, Philippians 2, 7. That he took on this humanity. I can be sure of my salvation. Because I am in Christ. And Christ had a body. And he had a soul. And he entered into this world as my representative. And he died, and he suffered the agony of my condemnation because he represented me fully, completely. I will not be lost. You will not be lost. Even a Peter. is not lost. In Him. See, that's what it comes down to. In Him. It's not that Jesus was born. It doesn't save anybody. I mean, think of how many people in this world when, when that date comes around on our calendars that 25th of December aren't singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. 
aren't going, oh yes, this is the date Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Are they saved because they celebrate Christmas? Are they saved because they celebrate Easter? No. One needs to be in Christ. He needs to be your representative. He needs to be the head of the covenant of which you are a part. If we are not under the umbrella policy, if we are not under that covenant, then we are under the covenant of that first Adam. Death, judgment, and condemnation. Say, well, how do I get under this other one? God is a God of grace. No one who comes to me will I ever turn away. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Do those two statements Set aside everything that has been said? No. Those who come are those who have been elected. Those who believe are those who have been chosen before the foundations of the earth. Chosen out of God's great love for God's glory. To be redeemed by the blood. To have their sins forgiven. Only by grace. Through Jesus Christ. So that brings us to our third point tonight. Found again in Ephesians chapter 1. So we found that in him elected, in him salvation. In him there is also assurance. Pick it up with me at verse 11 if you would please. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Not, notice, in him we might have an inheritance. In him we could possibly have an inheritance. But it's up to us, you see. It's up to us to see whether or not we're, we're going to do our part of this or not. No, in him we have an inheritance. In Christ, he's already been obedient. He's already been perfect. He's already been the Holy One. In him we have this inheritance, which, which having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things according to his counsel of his will. So that we are where the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you see, we have this inheritance. An inheritance that God guarantees. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Spirit, who what is the guarantee of our inheritance until we inquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
the presence of the Holy Spirit in your and my life is the guarantee that we are in Him. In Him, an inheritance. An inheritance of what? Eternal life. You and I have eternal life because we are in Christ. And that, my friends, is the only thing that guarantees our eternal life. If we are not in Him, there is no salvation. If we are not in Christ, we are not saved. Once again, let me be clear. It's not because we know and confess the reality of some historical events that have taken place in the past. Even the demons believe and shudder. What guarantees my salvation is that I am no longer in Adam. But I am, and you are, in Christ. Because he's given us his Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? Convicts us of our sin? Are you convicted? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Have you repented of your sin? Do you acknowledge the fact that the sin that you have committed in your life is, is an affront to God? That Christ died upon the cross because of those sins? But the Holy Spirit not only convicts us of sin and judgment that we know rightfully comes upon us, but the Holy Spirit also leads us to in Christ alone. That my only hope is Christ. Not my will, not my works, not my decision, not my faith. But Christ in Him alone. That's the Holy Spirit at work. A Holy Spirit that causes a desire within your heart. To please the Father. To worship Him. To glorify Him. To live a life of holiness. To separate yourself from sin. And to seek to please the Lord. That spirit is the guarantee that you're in Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, we do thank you for the clarity of your word. Father, men love to argue this point of Ephesians chapter 1. They 
They love to use their reason and their rationale and their human wisdom to try to somehow blame you or to declare it is unfair that which you have done. Father, what you have done is out of love. It is not unfair to give men that which they desire. Those in Adam desire to live in Adam. And they receive that which they desire. Death, judgment, eternal condemnation. That is just. That is fair. That is righteous. But you are also merciful. And you are the God of grace and the God of love. So out of your love, you have chosen for yourself us. And you've presented us to Christ and said, here, these are yours. And Christ has been willing to die. How we thank you, Lord Jesus coming into this world, for assuming body and soul, suffering, dying, bearing the agony of wrath, drinking of that cup in order that we might know salvation. small of us to think we might have anything to do with being saved. It is by grace and by grace alone. In the glorious name of our Savior we pray and God's people say, Amen.